You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is every single week, the joyful Christy Morris. Hello. Yes, if I was any emotion, I think I would be joy. Hmm. That's funny because I think I'd probably be melancholy and or sadness. Oh, I was going to guess sarcasm. Um, yeah, if sarcasm was an emotion, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I tend to be... Good point. Um, you know, uh, I would say a good portion of my life have been slightly more melancholy. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. So that would probably be my emotion. But uh, if you would, you know, like to, to catch up with us or follow us or uh, you could do that all over the place. Uh, we would love to figure out what emotion you would be uh, as this week. We're going to be talking about Inside Out uh, from Pixar and Disney. You can find us on Twitter at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Trek FM. Of course, uh, we uh, can be found anywhere you get your podcasts, but uh, just make sure you're subscribed there so you get the show as soon as it drops. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, please do give us a star rating and review. You can also find us on, uh, like I mentioned, uh, Facebook, which is uh, facebook.com slash trek.fm. We've got our own website, trek.fm, where you can find all of the shows going on in the network, as well as uh, you can find the contact section where you can send us an email. And then lastly, uh, you can find the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group there on Facebook and allows you to talk to listeners from all over the world who listen to Trek FM and talk about the different shows that we got going on and all sorts of things. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. Thank you so much for supporting the network over on Patreon and making sure the show keeps coming to each and every week. Now, uh, they not only support the 602 Club, but they're supporting the entire network. And um, so if you would like to do that, uh, we'd really appreciate it. It's uh, It does cost a lot to put all these shows together each and every week. And so uh, go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm. You can see how you can be part of our team. Honestly, every little bit helps, but we do have some great contribution levels that allow you to get extra perks as well. So again, that's patreon.com slash trek.fm. So Christy, mm-hmm. uh, as I uh, mentioned earlier, we're going to uh, talk about Inside Out, and we wanted to talk about that because uh, later on this year, it was supposed to come out in June, but it's coming out, I think, in November mm-hmm. now. Uh, Soul is coming out from Pixar, and so we thought it would be a fun idea to cover this one because very interesting ideas of, of really talking about something uh, very internal for human beings that Pixar did here and um, you know, I thought it was really interesting because I felt like, you know, Pixar was always a, a company that was taking risks, you know, doing the first animated CG movie. Um, but I felt like they really started to take risks when they were doing movies like Wally, 
um, you know, where there's hardly any dialogue in the movie for so much of it. And then a movie like Up, which is about, you know, uh, I mean, one of the like saddest 15 minutes of any film <laughs> <laughs> happened at the beginning of that movie, you know, uh, and and it really kind of changed my perspective, I think, even as, as to what animated movies could be like, even for kids. But I feel like Inside Out might have been their riskiest to date at that point. I would agree with that, because if you think about everything Pixar has ever put together, it's always external to humankind or, you know, whatever. It's more like things that are happening to a person or things like Wally um, that are trying to make a statement about something. Um, but it's it's never been before something so internal and um, so... I guess I would say existential. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. So yeah, it's a, it, it was a big risk, but it, I think it really, um, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. It, it pays off because then now they're able to come out and make soul, which is a whole nother aspect of the same kind of premise. Um, and I like that they took that opportunity to try something a little different. Yeah. I mean, you know, talk about something existential, the idea of the soul. Um, very mm -hmm. much so. And, and you know, just the whole idea, when this movie was coming out and everything, I mean, how are you feeling about it? This whole idea of, like, emotions inside of you, and if, was this something that you were kind of excited about um, or looking forward to when it was coming out? Yeah, I was actually really excited about it, if purely for the humor that you see in the previews initially, um, you know, seeing all of the different emotions reacting with each other, like fear, anger, disgust, disgust is my favorite. And uh, it, I was definitely ready to go and see it in the theater when it came out. What about you? Yeah, um, you know, I think this is I, I really enjoy these movies, you know, I enjoy Pixar movies in general. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I think just the thought of there being another one coming out, but I always enjoy more so when Pixar really seems to be kind of like pushing boundaries and, you know, Inside Out really felt like a movie like what I feel like with Wally -E specifically, where we're really trying to do something that just feels really different, you know, um, that just doesn't feel like something that any other studio had done before and i think that's the thing that really excites me and excited me and, and obviously you know that's the thing where you know they did that when they brought out toy story like they did something that you'd never seen before um you know you you had no idea if this was going to work um, and then, of course, you know, they, they had this really original, really fun story about the idea of, like, you know, toys coming to life when you leave the room. And I, I feel like their best movies are always based off of a premise of, like, something that's really just kind of mind-bending and really cool. So, you know, again, uh, the, the idea of, you know, for me, uh, the superhero family with Incredibles, I thought was a great idea. You know, the whole idea of, um, again, Wally, -E, where you're pretty much alone in the movie with this robot cleaning up 
a barren wasteland of a planet, you know, and like all of that, mm-hmm. I think was f- phenomenal. Um, Monsters Inc. I think was one that was really, you know, well conceived, well thought out, you know, because just the the thought of like the monsters behind the bedroom, yeah, door under the bed, you know. So I think all those are just movies that really spoke to me. And so this one, I think, when it was coming out, was something that I was really excited for because. I love when Pixar takes a risk with ideas, you know, and this one definitely just seemed more risky than something, say, like, you know, like Cars, where it's just not quite as risky to tell that type of story. Um, so, yeah, this was very exciting to me. And, you know, um, I think the whole idea, of, I mean, of getting into the idea of what emotions are and the way that they work like that's just like you i think you really hit it it's such an existential idea especially for uh, i mean maybe we this movie is just like existential animation you know in that sense <laughs> oh yeah well and especially when you get to the scene about abstract thought <laughs> yes that's what i was thinking about talk too. about going down in the wormhole <laughs> You know, and, you know, they talk about memory and um, the memory dump and the subconscious. I mean, it feels like they really also did their research about how the brain works and then how all of it's interconnected to then add to it the story of the family. It's just always really great when Pixar, they not only have a cute idea like you were saying with Monsters, Inc., the monsters under the bed or in the closet, but then they tie to it a really emotionally driven story that I, I feel like every Pixar at some point makes me cry because it's so good. Yeah, I, I think I think that's something that was you, you, you're tying into really well. It, it There is such emotion in the best of the Pixar movies, you know, um, and mm-hmm. I think this is I I don't know, but I think this might be their most emotional one. And the only one that kind of rivals this is really the beginning of Up. Because that beginning legitimately makes me cry every time, you know, as you're watching that scene of, you know, them fall in love and get married. And then, you know, she gets gets sick and then she dies. And it's just like... It's one of the most heart-wrenching, like, ten minutes of a movie. And it's right there mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie, you know? So I, I think you're absolutely right. And and this movie seems to do that same thing because I think what it does is they took the risk of tying into everybody's experience of what it means to grow up and to learn how to process not just emotion but complex emotion. Um, and the, the way that changes the way we view everything, really. Yeah, like how it develops who you are and you know shapes your it's funny how they even kind of mention not specifically outright mentioning it but how things can come from inside that influence your reality and then things that happen to you influence your emotions inside like how it's a two-way street yeah yeah no absolutely one of the um one of the things that uh i I really liked in the movie and I felt like it's probably it's just I I've never seen any other movie 
or uh, even, you know, uh, I, I just anything feel this important when it comes to the idea of trying to explain the importance of sadness and even the idea of like how to explain bad things happening to kids in a way that makes sense because the way that they the movie shows how you know we grow older our emotions become more complicated and most of our memories are clouded by not just one emotion but many emotions and in and more ways than one, I think sadness is the emotion that's most intertwined with many of our memories for some reason or another. And you put those together with understanding joy and sadness. You uh, you put all that together with like, I feel like this movie is the best way to help explain to kids why bad things happen. And showing that, you know, just because bad things happen, it doesn't mean there can't be something good that comes out. And it becomes about that perspective, like the moment where Joy sees the memory. And for her, it was always just a joyful moment. But she plays the memory back enough and she realizes that it started off as a sad moment. And that it's known as a joyful moment because the the sadness turned to joy because of what happened. And I just... It's so, I mean, it's beautiful. And it, I, this is a movie, legitimately, every time I've seen it, I have cried. Because that understanding of how emotion works, even as adult, hits me so hard. Because it makes you think of those moments in your life where you can do that. Where you can play the memory back far enough. And it, it's a sad memory. But then there's the ability to be able to play it forward enough and it becomes a happy memory. And it's just, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking. And it's just one of, this may, I hate to spoil it here, but this just may be Pixar's best movie ever. Just because of Ooh. the way that it, it handles this subject right here. Yeah. Uh, I I think that you definitely have one here that gives all of the other ones a run for their money. I don't know if I'll say it's my favorite one, but... I can understand why it'd be yours. I I agree, though. I feel like this movie is trying to say for sure, not only explaining why bad things happen in kids' lives and how it helps them cope in the future with similar circumstances, but how you can't have one without the other. Joy wants all the memories to be happy, but that's just not going to happen. Sometimes there is a place for sadness in your life. Especially, you know, if it's something like moving to a new town and leaving all the friends you knew and the school you knew and things like that, or, you know, losing a loved one or whatever, you just can't always make yourself stay happy and never have another emotion. So I, I like that they're saying too, sort of what, what you were saying, Matt, that it could start as sadness and turn to joy or vice versa. And that there's this inseparable relationship between the two. Well, and also the importance of sadness just as an emotion in our lives to be able to recognize and the importance to allow it to have its place. Like the moment where joy begins to see that sadness has a place is that moment mm -hmm. where sadness is able to, you know, talk to Bing Bong in a way that she can't. She doesn't have the ability to be able to understand um, that bing bong needs the opportunity to to basically grieve the fact that 
you know, Riley is done with him. You know, Riley does not mm-hmm. need him as an imaginary friend anymore. He He's served his purpose. And what I thought was so amazing is the way in which, you know, the movie allows Joy to basically experience sadness so that she can understand the importance. And so that way they can work in concert together in a way that they couldn't before. And I think there's mm-hmm. a, it, it's, it's an, it's such a beautiful thing because I think it allows kids then to be able to see that sadness isn't a bad thing, you know, to be able to right. recognize it, to be able to to work through it, to be able to call it what it is. And it's okay to, you know, to cry, to need to cry, to, to feel sad, um, to have sad things happen. Um, and that's, again, like you, what you were saying, it's like, that's also the thing that helps us remember that how wonderful joy is too, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, yeah, absolutely. Just, it's so, it's so poignant. Like I, I seriously, even kind of thinking about it, just kind of like, it's, it just kind of gets you emotional thinking about this, the way that they do this. So, and two, it may sound kind of silly, but I was even thinking about how when I was saying like the the um, relationship between sadness and joy being so connected, I've had times in my life where I've been crying, but it was happy tears. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, or or like recently, actually, I, I lost a loved one and they were just, you know, older and sick. We knew it was coming. But even though I was sad that she was gone... I was happy that she wasn't hurting anymore. So, you know, yeah. still like the two at the same time. So anyway. Yeah, no, 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 no. And I think, um, I think what you're saying is in many ways, our lives, especially as we get older, if we can't come to the place where we realize that many times joy and sadness complement one another, you know, and that's, I think that's one of the things this movie does so well is to help us see that. Mm-hmm. And it's a really important lesson for us to give. And and that, you know, it kind of reminds me, obviously, of, um, you know, the, the verses uh, in, all the way back in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, you know, where it talks about you know, there's a time for uh, war, there's a time for peace, there's a time of love, mm-hmm. there's a time of hate. You know, like this idea that there is a time for all of these things. In, in many ways, that's what our our emotional state, too. There is a time to to be joyful there is a time for sorrow you know like and recognizing that about ourselves i think is really helpful because we're not just meant to to have happiness all the time because as we can as we see in the movie too that means that we're we're very one-dimensional and that's kind of what we are as you know little children you know riley at four and five and six and seven you know she's it's very one dimensional because every emotion is just kind of one note. Whereas as Mm -hmm. you know, the movie shows you grow up and the emotion is more than just one thing. And I think that's the other thing this movie does is that it really just helps explain the importance of emotion. And it's, it's funny to say that when a movie about, you know, these different emotions, but I think that what it, it does for the experience, the specific emotions of joy and sadness specifically 
I think it also just helps us to be able to understand better emotional states that we're in. And especially, I think, the way that the movie has, you know, Riley, where she's going through so much, there's a point to where she's just kind of shut down because she doesn't even know Mm -hmm. what to feel. And, of course, there's a lot else going on in the movie that helps explain that happening. But really, the everything that's happening inside her with, you know, joy and sadness and all those emotions are happening because Riley herself is in a place where she doesn't understand right now how to be able to process those emotions well yet. Mm-hmm. And so that emotional an internal emotional state is completely an upheaval and that's what we see on the inside. And so I really like that too, because I think this is, again, this is the perfect way to help kids kind of come to an understanding of what it means to be uh, a human being, which is to be someone who's full of emotion and learn to uh, see kind of how to process those things by actually even being able to name them in the first place. Right, like showing kids a way that this could possibly work, even if it's not the way that it works, makes them understand better, hey, sometimes things are going to happen in your life that are a huge change, and you may shut down for a little while and not know how you feel or what to do, um, and that's okay. Sometimes that just happens, and then you figure out along the way how to get through it. But otherwise, kids, you know, just have to figure it out. Whereas I think this movie really kind of gives them a blueprint of this is how it could possibly be feeling inside. Yeah. And I think, you know, even just giving parents and children the opportunity of the way to be able to talk about it together, you know, that a child can have an even better understanding of like, oh, I'm. I'm feeling joy or, oh, I'm feeling sadness or I'm feeling anger or fear or disgust. Like, you know, just as a younger child being able to kind of point that out because they kind of understand what these emotions are from just being able to see them played out in front of their eyes. I just think it's really awesome. But I also think Mm -hmm. it's funny because we then see... Riley's parents and their emotional state and so we get to see kind of the way emotions work then in adults and you know obviously the portrayal there is is more stereotypical and and quite funny but I think what it does is it 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 gives us the opportunity to kind of extrapolate then all the way from Riley to an adult and and the way that that Mm -hmm. works in somebody who's hopefully more in touch with their emotions Right. Like you see the control of the parents' emotional states and that it takes time for them to build to a point of frustration and, you know, lashing out than it does with Riley, who they're trying to say kids are much more volatile with their emotions. It's easier to set them off and they go from zero to a hundred. So I, yeah, I really liked that contrast of when you're more mature, a little bit of time has passed longer than, you know, a kid, you've learned at this point how to manage your emotions better. And it, and it was just a really funny scene. Yeah. Well, and I got a, I've got a question for you um, because I thought it was interesting. So, you know, in Riley's mind, the, the kind of the main driver is joy. Uh, but what we see in her mom is sadness is actually the one in the middle 
And for her dad, anger is the one in the middle. And so I wondered what that was saying. Like, is it, were they trying to say something by that? Because I found, because like nothing happens by accident in an animated movie. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I, what did, what do you think about that? Do you think that says anything specific about, you know, like the, the parents there, but even just obviously we've got the mom and the dad. And, and do you think they're trying to say something about the emotional states of maybe men and women in that way? It, I'm glad you asked because I did notice that every time I've seen this movie and I think for me it leans toward the um, differences between how men and women are driven. So I think what they're trying to say is not that like Riley's mom is always sad or more sad than happy or anything like that. I think they're trying to say that women in general may be more in touch with their emotions and that's not to say that that's true of all men or all women. Um, but I think that's what they're just trying to say in the stereotypical sense. And that possibly men are less in touch with that part of their emotions and are maybe more quick to either anger or fear than the sadness part. Yeah, no, I think I think you that's exactly the same thing that I was thinking, you know, that, you know, men tend to process emotions different than women do. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. just a fact. Um, and so the the way that they are processed is is through a different lens. And so and I think one of the things that we kind of see throughout this movie is, again, that we talked about before the importance of sadness. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And that kind of deep sadness is that such a deep seated emotion. So it kind of makes sense that for the mother to be having sadness drive, you know, her emotional state in the sense of like, she's very in touch with the deepest part of her, you know, whereas, you know, her husband is not quite in touch with the deepest part of him. He's just kind of more in touch. It almost seems like more surface level because, you know, anger it, it tends to be a more surface level thing for a lot of the a lot of the time, our, our, especially our mm-hmm. quick anger. And so I'm going to put the foot down, put the foot down, <laughs> sir. You know, so, um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, detecting high levels of sass. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the best. <laughs> so anger also... Uh, kind of leaves you the idea of somebody who's more easily uh able to be um offended you know or see take offense at something you know like being sassed Mm -hmm. at that kind of thing and again i think you're right it just feels like the classic mom dad dynamic happening in that which again it makes it funny because it's comedy and so we're going with the broadest strokes so but it, it, I do have to add, since you got to throw your little one-liners in there, um, when the dad looks up and they said, oh, no, she's looking at us. <laughs> yes. And well, you... What do you want, woman? <laughs> you had the one, too, where they're like, we gave up the Brazilian skydiver surfer for this. <laughs> <laughs> and then they replay the memory yes. and I'll go, <sighs> yeah, that's very funny. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and... Yeah, you you had something that I thought was really um, fascinating too. You know, you talked about uh, you had on our outline just like the importance of memory, and mm-hmm. um, you know more so than remembering the the triple dent gum commercial, which I thought was hilarious because that make that's actually a great way to explain why in the world stupid you know uh, slogans get stuck in our head all day. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but the just the idea of like memories and like you, the core memories develop who we are and they become those pillars of our lives that create uh, our our personalities. They they the how the experience shape that our dislikes our likes. And I thought, you know, that was really interesting because this movie also helps. I mean, Riley is on the cusp of puberty and she's growing into a young woman at this point. And so mm-hmm. she hasn't quite reached that yet. But this moment of like changing where she lives, going from Minnesota all the way to San Francisco. Now I've lived in Minnesota in my life. I've never lived in San Francisco, but I've I've uh, visited there, and they're diametrically opposed to each other as a type of place, um, even with just oh, the yeah. type of people that live there and everything. So, like, I love this idea of this import the importance of memory and how it really makes us who we are, and how those memories um, shape us. And part of that is to how our memories are colored as well, like. Do we have a lot of sadness in our lives? Do we have a lot of joy? Mm-hmm. Do we have a lot of fear or anger? And all of those emotions will play into then the the very person that we are. And I thought it was really beautiful to watch as, you know, Riley has some of those things fall away, but then they get rebuilt and then they become even stronger as they're rebuilt. And so... Again, this movie's just so freaking smart with the way that it talks about us. Yeah, and and that's why I felt like we needed so much to throw this in here is because memory is such a key piece of the entire puzzle that they're saying it's not just emotion that makes a person. It's also how the different things you've experienced are then stored so that either you remember them later when you need to, like math problems or um, for fun or for um, different things that you might need them for. And then how they make the person whole. So, you know, like hockey for Riley is a big part of who she is. And it's tied to everything she remembers growing up in Minnesota. It's not just that one superficial thing. So, yeah, I, I think that it's really great how they seem to explain something so so complex as how memories work to kids in this way. And then like you're saying, Matt, that they may not be all happy memories. They may have a mixtures of all of the emotions involved, but that doesn't mean that that that's good or bad. It just makes us who we are. Yeah. And I, I mean, one of the things that makes this so interesting is that it does kind of help explain people in general and then like where we come from how we grew up what our parents were like what our home life was like all of those things have an Mm -hmm. impact on the type of person that we are going to become and can become and it it shows i think you know obviously riley has a great family life you know and so her life is pretty good but it also shows how if you just if you were to try and totally change this movie and make it with a person whose life that was not so good, that doesn't come from a good family, you know, all of those type of things, you could see how you can begin to understand then how these emotions could make somebody different and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, maybe more angry or hard or 
And so I just, I really, I think that the movie does a really good service to understanding, you know, who we are as people, but helping us, you know, understand other people because as we get to know others, you know, ask them about their life and hear their stories, you know, we can begin to piece together the things that make them who they are and the why of things too. And just this movie, I think does a great job of showing both, you know, the why and the how that we are who we are. So that's just so cool. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's the, it's another thing too. Like, I like how memory and emotion are so tied together as Mm -hmm. to the things that make us who we are. Because like you were saying, like what our core memories are made of, if, if they're made of certain emotions, they have a real impact then on, you know, who we become. And that you don't choose your core memories. That's something that even I took away this time that I didn't necessarily notice before that, you know, there was a sad memory that suddenly was turning into a core memory and joy's trying to stop it from happening. And sadness is saying, no, that's a core memory. You don't have a choice. It's going in there. And it's like, yeah, because sometimes there are these just big moments in your life and maybe you don't want to remember that forever, but sometimes your brain is just going to put it there. Uh, you know, absolutely, absolutely, and and that the only way, you know, that usually what it takes is being able to take those memories and be able to see them from different perspectives, like we saw with Joy with the memory of seeing the perspective of being able to play the memory back and forward, you know, mm-hmm. and. Many times that I I think one of the things that this movie does is kind of help show the the importance of counseling and a good therapist sometimes to be able to help us do that. You know, what is the way in which we as human beings can change those core memories for ourselves by being able to work through them? You know, Mm -hmm. and one of the best ways to do that is with obviously supportive friends and family. Uh, but sometimes the best way to do that is is through a good counselor, too. Um, and I think um, this movie kind of helps show the legitimacy of that. Obviously, Riley's at an age where, you know, what's really wrong with her is just so normal. You know, her parents are able to help her out with that. Um, yeah. And But, you know, there comes a time when that might not be the case. And And that's, I think, one of the things that I really love, too, is, and we didn't talk about this in the sadness section, but... What I love is the way in which the parents' memories of of their own existence in Minnesota, when Riley finally admits, I just, I miss home. You know, I miss where mm-hmm. we used to live. And the parents tell her that they missed Minnesota. They miss, you know, like, I think there's yeah. a real beauty in that, too, because the parents are, again, enabling Riley to be to be where she is to be in the emotional state that she's in they're they're letting her know that it's okay to feel that way and part of that comes not only from their own memories of them missing minnesota but it also comes from their own memories of having things in their lives change that allow them to be able to you know have empathy and sympathy for their daughter and i think there's a real beauty with that too because that's i think a whole part of this of this is how we help one another is by being able to put ourselves in another's shoes and be beside them uh, along their emotional journey as well. 
Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that and and especially too about therapy and mental health because it it all really works together and it's great that her, she and her parents were able to have that moment where they're getting to actually open up about what they're feeling inside and for Riley to realize that she's not alone in that feeling of being upset of missing Minnesota that her parents are putting on the best face they can to try and help her emotional journey with it, but that they're all feeling the same feelings. So uh, I really like that giving Riley of some validation in the situation. Cause I'm sure, especially as an 11 year old, you're like, no one understands yeah. me. I yeah. am an Island. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think you're right on target with just being, with just saying like, this is the way in which we help one another is by allowing them to understand that they're, that you're, you're not an Island that no man, Mm -hmm. you know, as as the famous statement is, is no man is an Island. Um, and I, I think that's really beautiful. Um, I, I, yeah, I think that's really beautiful. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things is we were kind of talking about, uh, you know, this movie coming out in the first place and all of that. I think the thing that really uh, just stuck out to me is just how well they chose the cast, the voice cast, um, and how well they all work together, this main cast, to make this movie work and how well they fit their characters. I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I thought this from the get-go. I think especially having the right actor for each emotional state was at the forefront of their thinking on this movie as a whole, because I feel like if you don't get the right person for like anger, for example, that it could come off less important than it is. And so, you know, it may sound kind of silly, but I I told my husband even tonight, I I feel like they were thinking who just really comes across as great at playing anger. And I mean, Lewis black, if no one's ever seen him as a comedian, it's perfect spot on. He is just like the angriest person. And the thing is, I think maybe generally in his life, he possibly is too, which makes me a little sad, but (laughs) he's so funny at honestly being angry. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, like you said, I think it's interesting to watch him play it, you know, because we get to see uh, the way in which, you know, anger kind of thinks and like, especially without joy being there when he's trying to think of an idea and the idea is to run away because that's where all the best core memories come. It's like, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. From a certain point of view. And so I think that that's really interesting. And then, you know, I think one of the best choices that they made here is also having phyllis smith who plays phyllis from the office um you know Mm -hmm. she's so great and but her playing sadness was perfect because she plays sadness so earnestly and especially this sadness who doesn't quite understand yet because none of the emotions understand the idea of complex emotions yet Mm -hmm. so she doesn't understand why she's doing the things that she's doing, but she's the one who's kind of pushing forward Riley's emotional growth, right? Because 
sadness is is kind of beginning to color a lot of the things in her life. Even the memories she has that used to be good are now tainted in some ways. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but they, they are colored by sadness. You know, mm-hmm. um, they are bluer than they used to be because Riley has the frustration of having moved and not being able to make any more of those memories. And Phyllis Smith is just, she's so good uh, at, using her voice in a way that sounds so meek and mild and and hurt and all of those things like i just felt like she's such i feel like probably she's the one she probably gets overlooked i feel like in this you know like when you're talking about the voice cast people go to like immediately go to amy poehler you know bill Hader or whatever but i think Mm -hmm. that if she isn't in this movie, I don't think sadness works as well, honestly. I think she was just absolutely perfect. Yeah, I agree. And I, I will say I did not overlook her for sure. I think Lewis Black was just my favorite, but um, my favorite character that was discussed. But I think, yeah, she really gives across in her voice this openness with expressing every depth of emotion. And I think that if you think about possibly putting someone else in that role, I just don't feel like anybody else would be right. Or, and I don't know how to say it other than I feel like she's just very open about diving into whatever the emotion is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, that's the thing that Amy Poehler is kind of really good at, which is playing that other side of somebody who's just like overly joyful and happy all the time. And mm-hmm. obviously, it makes so much sense. I mean, if you've seen Parks and Rec, this is who exactly who Leslie Nope is. Leslie Nope is just joy from this movie, you know, like mm-hmm. it's the same character, basically. And she's so good at playing somebody who's just so enthusiastic, but really it's just somebody who's so full of life and loves life in every moment of it. And I, you know, she's able to do that in a way that only makes her slightly annoying every once in a while. And part of that is I think she's able to kind of play that somewhat obnoxiousness of joy in the beginning. And I love the way, again, too, she goes on that journey as that that character of joy to become a much more nuanced person. Um, And I think she's the perfect person to be able to do that because she can play the overly happy, slightly obnoxious and move towards somebody who, like Phil Smith, there's a softness to, like Joy softens a little bit throughout the movie. She does a great job, Amy Mm -hmm. Poehler, playing that. Right. Like if you think about it in the beginning of the movie, her way of playing Joy and the way she's written is that she's in charge and that she's so proud of look at all of these memories that are only joyful memories, not to brag. (laughs) And, you know, it just it's so funny because I, I do think that Amy Poehler is really great at that and that it comes across that she she does soften over the course of the movie like you said and understands that it's not all about her well and it's funny too because you know you have bill Hader and mindy kaling you know it is fear and disgust and it, what's interesting is their kind of emotions at this point that are they're slightly more background emotions 
you know, like you're not disgusted at everything all the time, you know, unless I guess you're a teenage girl. Um, and, uh, or, you know, at which point disgust is very important. It's very true. It's very true. Um, <laughs> and, um, at least I've been told I don't have any personal experience, but I've seen mm. it play out in my life with teenage girls. Um, and, you know, again, fear too. Like I, I love at the very beginning where like, and fear keeps her alive, you know, like when she's running around right. the house and she like steps over the plug and everything. I just, it's really funny. But I think, again, they just picked people who could play that so perfectly. Um, and it's, you know, it really is the key. You know, we become so used to animated movies having people that are really well known. Right. But, you know, mm -hmm. that wasn't always the case in animated movies of, of just hiring famous actors to do things, you know. So um, these days, I, it's definitely important for them to really hire people that can do the job to which they really want them to do. And I think um, I think they're really there. You know, um, I, I think in this movie, everybody really nails exactly what they needed them to do. Right, like having the best character matchups of the on-screen character and the person playing them, rather than just saying, oh, we really want Eddie Murphy to voice a character in this movie and making it fit. No, they actually went for who is the best possible expression of this character. Absolutely. No, I 100% I agree. And, um, you know, I just think they really obviously help carry the movie and i think they do such a great job and um you know i think they also kind of picked the perfect they they picked the perfect person to play bing bong because richard kind is so good at just being weird and quirky uh, even in his voice just like the way he plays things or anything i just you know that's such a fun character and he does such a good job of playing a character that, you know, is the imaginary friend. So really doesn't have a brain in his head for the most part. Um, no. You know, obviously can't read. I love it. He's like D-A-N-G-E-R. Ah, I guess this is okay. <laughs> well, they right? should really yeah, have a sign. Shortcut. Yeah. I love it. He's like, that's so dangerous. They should really have a sign. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that he absolutely, it, it's the same kind of acting as Phyllis for sadness that he comes across with as Bing Bong. And I have to throw in for anybody like me that had an imaginary friend in your life, it's a nice callback to being a kid again, because I'm going to reveal something to everybody. I had an imaginary friend because for five years of my life, I was an only child until suddenly there was a surprise. And uh, his name was Mr. Nelson. He was a monkey. Wow. And now he's on the scrap heap of the memories of your life that you've forgotten. Well, clearly he's in there somewhere. He hasn't been dumped yet. <laughs> you can still remember him. <laughs> yeah. On his rocket that's powered by song. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he just does such a good job. The other, you know, the other thing that was really a character in the movie to me uh, was uh, Michael Giacchino's score. I think the music 
uh, really adds another level to the movie. And that starts right at the beginning, you know, as we meet Riley for the first time. And she, you know, she's born and Joy is born, you know. And mm -hmm. I really loved um, his piano work, the way he used just that soft piano to kind of begin things. And then everything else builds from that. But there's this beautiful theme of joy, you know, it's really kind of Joy's theme as much as it is even Riley's theme. And I just, I really like the music in this movie. And it's it's actually kind of joyful to listen to as well, which is nice. Uh, so it's a great mm -hmm. score. Um, and it's, you know, he's obviously worked with Pixar a lot. This was his fifth film at this point with them. And he had also worked on Up, which his score for Up is amazing as well. So he's he's done such a good job. I think about uh, I think at capturing the soundscape of uh, many of the these Pixar movies. Yeah, I think that this is such a vital part, especially to a movie like this, because you need someone who understands the emotion and the complexity that they're conveying, and gets that across because I mean definitely in many of the scenes of this movie if you don't have the right themes in the scene musically it doesn't hit home as hard and it doesn't draw that emotion out of you you know like making us cry so yeah I mean absolutely I think it's a beautiful score and I think that it really um especially in the, the scenes where um, it's about family. Oh, it hits me every time. Yeah, I mean, the, the way that he scores the moment where, you know, they're all on the floor in their new home in San Francisco and they're all, you know, kind of sharing their heart about what they miss and everything. It's just, uh, it's heart-wrenching and it's so good. So, yeah. Um, I, Chrissy... Uh, we may have already answered this question, but what would you rate <laughs> Inside Out? I would give it a 9 out of 10. Um, I'm going to say, hmm, what am I going to rate with? Eh, I'm going to say Rocket Ships Powered by Song because that's just what I'm rolling with tonight. But um, yeah, because I I really, it I, it's a near perfect movie. I think there's a couple little things here or there that I'm like, hmm but not enough to knock much off for me. But I really think that it's very rewatchable. It's something that's still family friendly and something I would love to share again with our niece and nephew who are eight and six. Um, and I think absolutely, like we said, the voice cast carries it and the music more than anything else. Um, so yeah, I, I give it a nine out of 10 personally. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I'm going to go with a 10 out of 10, uh, which uh, this is, um, I really do think this may be, whether it's my favorite or not, it's different, but I do think, I think this is just Pixar's best work. Um, and part of that is because, uh, I legitimately, there, there are three or four points in this movie where I just tear up every time because it's so mm -hmm. good and, and it gets you in the emotional, it gets you in the feels every single time. <laughs> And if a movie can do that, regardless of when I watch it, I, I just, there isn't anything I can add. So, yeah, this is just a great movie. Um, and uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed, uh, you know, getting a chance to, to talk about it. I'm excited then to see what they're going to do with Soul 
Uh, but Christy, um, it is time for some recommendations. So it may come across kind of silly, but it fits perfectly because we're talking about Pixar. I was reminded the other day of a quote from uh, a movie that I really loved that's also a Pixar movie that says, Hi, I'm Deb, and if I'm not here, you can always talk to my sister, Flo. Hi, how are you? Don't listen to anything my sister says. She's nuts. And it's called Finding Nemo. And it's nice. incredible. And both Finding Nemo and Finding Dory are now on Disney+. Plus, and I was re-watching Finding Nemo yesterday. <laughs> Very nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great to be able to go to Disney Plus and watch this in 4K. It was, like, great. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I have been reading The Office, the untold story of the greatest sitcom of the t- uh, 2000s, An Oral History by Andy Green. And the book is really cool. It's uh, walking through the entire series of The Office, uh, and it is done um, every chapter is snippets of interviews to help tell the story of the chapter. So, you know, whatever they're talking about in the chapter, whether it's, you know, they're talking about season one or they're talking about one of the characters or, and it's just so cool. And he's interviewed just about everybody behind the scenes of the office and put all this together. And it's great. I mean, if you love the show, it's, it's fascinating to find out little details that you didn't know about certain things, um, choices that they made, even just, um, there is a bit about, why they have people sitting where they sit when they do their talking head segments and everything. So it was so much fun and it's definitely worth a read. I'm really loving it and I can't wait to, to be able to continue. I'm about halfway through. So, but yeah, I, I recommend it already. It's, it's phenomenal. So, uh, but that's our, but that is our recommendations for the week. And so Christy, where can everybody find you online? I'm at Bespin Bell on Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok. And you can also find me when I'm not on the 602 Club with Matt every week. I do a couple of other shows. I do a show called Sabers and Spells with my friend Teresa Delgado, where we talk about everything geeky as far as uh, Star Wars, Harry Potter. Um, and then we're actually about to start um, further, I think, into the Harry Potter at home stuff. So stay tuned for that. I do a segment on the Star Wars Report once a month called Fashion and Five about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. Nice. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, but not on TikTok under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. I'm too old for TikTok. Uh, you can find me uh, here on the network doing the Orb, Chris Jones talking about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Uh, you can also find me doing uh, two shows over on the Nerd Party Network. One is called Owl Post with Drea Kaufman. We're talking about Harry Potter each and every week, but one chapter at a time. Uh, you can also find me doing Wrestling Negotiations with John Mills as we're talking about Star Wars each and every week. We just pick up a fun topic from the uh, galaxy far, far away and discuss that. And then last but not least, my friend Courtney and I do a show called Cinema Stories. Uh, and that's where we talk about films through the lens of faith. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to record soon, depending on what happens with all the stuff that's going on. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?